Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house, happy to be here. I think we got somebody, one of my panelists is in a swimming pool. Jeffrey, why don't you mute for a second there, dear? Let's get rid of that bag. There we go. We are live, everybody. Wave hello to LinkedIn. Wave hello to Facebook. I don't have the fancy countdown clock. We're covering a topic today. This is part two of a topic that everybody's talking about. I don't know what people are doing about it, but they're talking about it. And we're still trying to understand it. The topic is sustainability. And of course, this is technology revolution. So we're talking about sustainability and technology. That's our spin. And the question is, are we doing enough for tomorrow, for our kids, for our grandkids, for anybody in that future? So this is part two. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let me give a couple of buzz quotes, and then I will have my experts introduce themselves. So bear with me here. Buzz number one, this is from Forbes, one of my favorite quotes. Sustainability is no longer a buzzword, but an environmental, economic, and social driver that is changing our day-to-day lives, committing to sustainable practices, is no longer a nice-to-have, but a must-do. Panel, nod and wave if you agree with that. It's a must-do. We got it. That's why you're all here. Good. Good start. I have the right people. Then buzz number two is from a quote from McKinsey. They say, technologies shaping the sustainability agenda include, and I'm just going to throw a couple out there. These are interesting. Public electric transport. I think we've seen some of that. Electric trucks, cheap energy storage. Oh, yes. Plastic recycling. Thank goodness. LED light efficiency, accessible solar power. I don't have panels, but I know people who do. Carbon capture and storage and hydrogen in the energy transition. So those are a few of things that are happening. Right, Deborah? Deborah's nodding. She likes that. I have a quote now from a gentleman named Bertrand Picard, F-R-S-G-S, some of those initials that British people put on there. Oh, he's Swiss, excuse me. He's an explorer, psychiatrist, and environmentalist. What an interesting career background. He was part of the first nonstop balloon flight around the world in Breitling Orbiter 3. And here is his quote. I came up with an idea of a solar airplane flying around the world with no fuel that would be a beautiful message in terms of technology the energy of the future and the environment. I love that when I found it. I thought that was interesting. Now I have a quote from Ramez Nam, who is an American technologist and sci-fi writer, and he wrote the Nexus Trilogy. Listen up. Unfortunately, in the environment, I don't see as much willingness to invest heavily in R&D as I do in consumer technology, and that's a pity. Oh my, we agree with that, everybody? Yep, we know where the money's going. So the big question is, can we achieve sustainability through data-driven processes, through technology, through collective mindset, groupthink? Can we achieve it through governmental mandate? You gotta, you shoulda, we'll find you if you don't. Can we achieve it through individual action? That's what we're here to talk about as well or a combination of all of the above? And we're going to try to answer that question today. So when I call your name, please wave hello, and then we will get you to do your bios. Don Deloach, welcome back. 
you're responsible for getting this panel engaged. I appreciate you always. And Don made the mad environment, environmental dash from a conference where he was speaking across the street to a hotel. And of course, his Rocket Wagon Venture Studio background is always with him wherever he travels around the world. Don, thrilled to have you. No, I didn't give your bio just a welcome. We also have Deborah Lamb, newcomer to the show. Deborah, hello. Wave hello. There she is. We'll find out all about her in a minute. Jeffrey Castleman, he said I can call him Jeff. So I'll probably go between Jeff and Jeffrey, and you'll know there's nobody else with that name on the panel, so it's going to be you. And we have Rob Tiffany is back. Hello, Rob. Nice to see you. Love the microphone. And I'm going to ask them for their take on the future of sustainability and technology. Enough for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Part two. Bonnie D in the house again. Happy to be here. Love this show. And I have to brag panelists for just a second here. This show was named to a top 10 list by a company named Naplandio last week as one of the top 10, thank you, Deborah, top 10 business and tech and entrepreneur podcasts to listen to in the world. And I was very, very honored to be included on their list. And Don, I posted that. I'm allowed to brag once in a while. I posted it on LinkedIn and we're up to almost 3,000 views of my post. I've never done anything that got 3,000 views. So <laughs> something must have been making people happy. There you go. So you're on that show. Let's go around the table. Don, there are, we're down to 5.3 people in the world who don't remember you. Shame on them because you're on so often. Jeff liked that one. Deborah liked that one. You two are new. You got to go through the whole thing. Don, why don't you update what you've been up to to those 5.3 people, and then we'll go around the table. Welcome back, Don. Thanks, Bonnie. Always good to be on. Uh, so we are Rocket Wagon Venture Studios is focused on helping startups get to commercialization that are focused on cyber physical transformation. Uh, the first studio that we're moving forward with is Smart City Works Venture Studio in uh, in the D.C. area. That should be operational uh, this summer. And we, we're already signing uh, corporate members, agency members. Uh, we're vetting our, our, our startups that we're going to enter into it. And the whole goal is to help them get to commercialization with innovation focused on infrastructure and ESG. And then the one behind that is in Atlanta called the Frontier Venture Studio, and that's uh, focused on Industry 4.0 and ESG. So we're, we're all about helping these companies move forward. Donna, what does that mean when you sign somebody up for the studio? Is there going to be a physical presence? Are they going to have uh, time, shared time with experts, with uh, seed finance people? What does it actually mean? Because I'm not, I, you know, we talk about this, but what does it mean to be part of a venture studio? Just briefly. But mainly what it means is there's a team of experienced entrepreneurs who wrap around uh, the startup as an extension of their team, not mentors, but a working extension. So think of it as a full-on apprenticeship model. Uh, the metaphor I use is um, uh, if, if, a, if a, an incubator is tantamount to a college dormitory and an accelerator is tantamount to med school where everybody starts together and ends together and goes to classes, the Venture Studio is the residency program. It's the apprenticeship model where we help them through experience and extension of what they're doing uh, get to the point of maturity, which in the case of a startup is scalable, repeatable commercialization as defined probably by either a Series A funding or an outright sale. I think you eat, sleep, and drink this, Don, because that just <laughs> flows. I appreciate that very much. Thank you for being here, and thanks for the explanation. I think people really want to know what this is all about. And yeah, thanks for asking. Mazel tov on your getting to this point in what you've been working on for many, many years, I know. So congratulations. Thank Let's you. move around the table. Deborah Lamb, you're new to the show. Don invited you. I'd love to hear who you are. Why don't you tell us what you do, and what's your passion for sustainability in tech? Welcome, Deborah. 
Thanks, Bonnie. Um, it's lovely to be here and thanks to Don for inviting me. Um, so my name is Deborah Lamb and I lead the Partnership for Inclusive Innovation is a statewide public private partnership that invests in innovation solutions for shared economic prosperity. We're a cross between a uh, foundation slash intermediary, funding intermediary and a do tank, um, which is, we define as the opposite of think tank. Um, and so we are very much uh, proactive throughout the state. We define inclusive innovation as increasing access and opportunities for everyone to innovate. But as you probably appreciate, innovation like technology is not the end state, but a way to drive um, community and economic development for all. Um, so we're very focused on trying to uh, provide those opportunities um, for everyone. Um, and your second question about sustainability, um, it's, it's actually one of our core principles um, within the partnership. And, and we really think about sustainability, not only in terms of uh, ongoing growth um, and prosperity, but also um, really about sustainability, um, you know, in terms of your, your ESGs and equity um, when it comes to sustainability. Um, your quotes were really good because it made me think about um, some of the things that I did as, as an early stage sustainability consultant when we thought about carbon emissions. And, you know, one of the main tenants was uh, the people that were most or the countries that were most responsible for some of these effects had the most resources um, for, you know, dealing with climate change. And the countries that, you know, um, actually weren't responsible for the rising carbon emissions uh, didn't, were the most vulnerable. Um, and didn't have those resources. Um, so really uh, centers on equity when it comes to sustainability and technology. Thank you, Deborah. Do tank instead of think tank. That's a new one for me. Rob was, everybody was jumping out of the air saying, yes, very interesting concept. And you brought up the notion of prosperity. Oh my goodness, you can be sustainable. You can help preserve the world for future. And you can actually make a profit out of it and you can earn a living and you can survive that way and sustain yourself. Very interesting. Deborah, just briefly, I want you to add What's your background? How did you get to the, obviously you're an extremely articulate, brilliant woman, I can say that because you are, and you've already proven that to us, but what's your background? What's your education? How'd you get to this place in your career, please, briefly? Um, yeah, so I um, uh, started in the Foreign Service, so my undergrad is in the School of Foreign Service um, and uh, at Georgetown and um, you know worked in uh, government um, and then went into the private sector and then also worked in nonprofits. Um, so I, I, I very much appreciate public-private partnerships, which I'm sure I'll talk about later on, but, you know, having been in local government, federal government, and uh, the private sector as a management consultant, and obviously the nonprofit side, I, I very much appreciate that. And now I'm in higher ed, so. Thank you very much. You're an inspiration. We, get, we have to get you in front of more young women who show that, to show them that what you can do when you're focused and when you have a passion for something and how much you can make an impact on. I'm getting off here. I'm sorry very much. Got to get you on another one of my shows about women in, in tech and all that. Jeffrey Castleman, how are you? Please unmute and let's hear from you. Who are you and why are you here? What's sustainability mean to you? Hi, everybody, and thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, hopefully the noise is manageable. I'm in a basement of a hotel and, and uh, on the road, as I typically am, and, and doing the best I can to, to give you a quiet environment. You're That's fine. You're yeah, fine. good. There's a little bit of noise going on upstairs, so uh, I'll just forewarn everybody, but let's roll with it. So I'm Jeff Castleman. I do a couple things. The main thing uh, that I do is uh, try to mash up real estate 
sustainability and technology into one conversation. And I've been doing that for a pretty long time, since 2004 when I started my own company uh, called Optimize um, with the intent of making that the conversation rather than that being a la carte services. Um, Since that time, um, I've come to work uh, at CRG, which is, hopefully you can see that in the background there, CRG. Uh, CRG is a a national development company. We build very large uh, scale, big ticket commercial and multifamily projects across the United States, mostly e-commerce distribution, um, data center, industrial um, manufacturing, and and also, like I said, multifamily. uh, And I'm the head of workplace strategy there. So it's my job to get our clients to think 10 to 20 years into the future so that what we design and build for them can withstand the test of time, which is especially important now with so much exponential change converging together all at one time. I also uh, started an energy procurement company uh, in 2013, and that company is going gangbusters right now for um, a lot of uh, geopolitical and and market turbulence reasons. Um, It's also uh, an important cornerstone of somebody's ESG policy, and ESG is, of course, uh, become a higher priority uh, item for most companies and corporations and governments uh, because it turns out climate change is actually really a thing. And I think most people can agree on that at this point, right? I also do a lot of uh, uh, paid public speaking. And so I'm on the road a lot. Bookings are way up this year, I guess, because we're back from COVID a little bit. And, and so uh, uh, those are the kinds of things I spend my time on. Thank you very much. And how did you get to this? How did you get so interested in, in what you do? Obviously, you're, you're a powerhouse, Jeffrey. You're, you're a very motivated, very action-oriented person. You're an entrepreneur. You're a go-getter. What was your, what's your background? Where'd you come from? So um, I, I'm a career real estate guy, but in, in 2004, right before I started my, my company, Optimize, I was invited on a very um, extensive uh, tour of smart buildings in Asia with a number of real estate executives. Um, and I don't know what compelled me to go, but I went and, and what we saw really knocked our, uh, knocked our socks off um, about how, how differently the world was approaching smart buildings, smart cities, sustainability, everything that they tell us about China is wrong. It's really not happening the way it's being told to us in the United States. I experienced it. I went there two years in a row and saw it. Uh, Malaysia, Singapore, Korea, Japan. I mean, we really blitzed Asia for for two weeks. We slept on airplanes. We met with government officials. We debated things in between. Uh, And then we came back to the United States and said, how can we adopt what we saw here in the United States um, and and start educating the world at the same time? And that's when I started my own company and, and thought, you know, the right blend of services to the marketplace isn't real estate alone it's real estate plus sustainability uh and i went to the market to sell green buildings and there weren't any buyers the buyers said hey how about i'm sorry i got it backwards i went to sell them smart buildings and they said hey i'm not interested in smart buildings but tell me more about the green building thing i'm interested in that right and so that really became a focal point um uh and we did a lot of demand reduction work uh which quickly became commoditized and and uh resource intensive we didn't love that that part of the business, um, and we didn't do anything about the supply side. At the same time, through growth, we really needed to fund ourselves and, and had to go outside of cash flow, and, and this was during the Great Recession. We're making tons of money. We had a great client list, and nobody would loan us any money. 
because we didn't have any assets. So I bought a company that was in procurement that had accounts receivable that could be used as collateral for a loan. And all of a sudden I was in the supply and procurement business, which was a nice complement to the demand reduction business. Uh, and I had a means to grow the business. And so that's sort of how it all started to come together. And then at that moment, uh, a, a global real estate services company called Newmark came along and said, hey, I'd like to buy your real estate company. And I said, great, if you want to overpay, I guess that's fine. And, and they sort of did. <laughs> Hopefully they, they wouldn't agree with that. But, but you know, we had kids to send to college and stuff, so it was a good time for us. Uh, but I said, you don't get the energy company. And, and so they said, well, we don't even want the, we don't know what the energy company does. So that's fine. And since that time, like I said, the energy company has, has just thrived. So uh, that's sort of how I got there. Well, thank you very much. Prosperity, profitability, and we got to put the kids through college. It, it all goes together on sustainability of families and lifestyle and education and society and civilization, right? All goes together. Thank you very much, Jeff. Nice to meet you. Rob, Tiffany, there you are. You've been on a couple times before. Happy to have you back. Would you please honor us? You know, I think I said only 5.3 people don't remember Don. With you, you want to go for the same 5.3? Or do you think maybe we're up to about 8.3 who don't remember you? Maybe 8.3. Yeah, I don't know. You haven't been on quite as often as Don. we, we got to really do a reality check here. So, Rob, I'm putting you on speaker view as I did with the others. Please kindly reintroduce yourself and catch us up. What have you been up to? Yes, we'll go back to the dawn of time when the dinosaurs roamed. Um, let's see, background started in submarines and the Navy did a lot of startups, did IoT in the 90s with vending machines, uh, spent most of my career at Microsoft, um, spent time at Hitachi, Don and I collaborated there with some industrial IoT stuff, uh, been doing the 5G thing at Ericsson. And recently, just barely coming out of a stealth mode, doing a startup um, called Sustainable Logics, and uh, been building a digital twin IoT platform actually totally directed towards sustainability. It's called Greenhouse. Um, and so many years ago, I started speaking on panels and writing about, hey, we can use this IoT technology for more than just commercial purposes in business. You know, what is IoT? It's measuring, it's knowing remotely in real time, the state of something and then taking an action. And so over time, you know, I think what helped me over the years was um, those United Nations Sustainable Development Goals really helped me categorize things and say, where can things like IoT and digital twins and other, you know, telecommunications play a role in that stuff, you know, whether it's poverty or hunger or climate or water, things like that. And so uh, I've been really into that for a long time. And so now making it very real, building technology, uh, getting close to launching an MVP, a minimum viable product um, of uh, this technology. Um, ultimately, it would help companies uh, meet their ESG commitments, uh, but it's also designed to be given away to free to uh, like NGOs, uh, nonprofits, folks working around the world uh, to try to solve problems. So. Uh, that's what I've been up to, and it's good to see you again, Bonnie. Thank you very much. I have a question for the whole panel. Does anybody in this panel ever sleep? I have a feeling you're just ideating, I like that word, 24 hours a day. Do you ever watch dumb TV? Don, do you ever watch stupid TV? Or are you you're thinking and planning and, and growing your business all the time? Don, putting you on the spot here, dear. Uh, you know, from time <laughs> to time, uh, I, I'm, and, and in, there are environmental uh, influences on that, too. And I'll leave it at that. 
Okay, Deborah, do you sleep? And what do you have for breakfast that fuels your brain like this? Deborah, unmute, please, for a second. Um, I, I, I do sleep. I, I actually really like to sleep. <laughs> I think sleep is great. Um, and but what, what powers really like you? What powers you for breakfast? What gets those brain cells cooking every day? I can hear them. <laughs> um, well, I, I do think it's nice to be surrounded by really inspiring people. That's why I think I kept nodding my head because I, I think there's so many things, even just from this panel that I'm picking up. So I, I really agree with you. I like really being with really, really smart people who are doing some great stuff. Yes. Yes. And breakfast, you want to give us a tip here, please? I really want to know what do you have for breakfast? Seriously. Oh, um, my go-to breakfast, uh, I, I definitely um, really appreciate like uh, granola um, and yogurt okay. and fruit. Okay. And, okay. You know, I, I actually have a very wide variety of breakfast. And actually, you know, being from the South, I will say in Atlanta. Um, oh, we, I'm in Durham. I'm in Durham. Hello from yes. Durham. Okay. So, I mean, you would, you would appreciate a good Southern breakfast with grits. Um, Except so. I'm a New Yorker, so I haven't gotten to the grits yet, but Rob likes that one very much. Thank you, Deborah. Jeffrey, what do you have for breakfast? Do you ever sleep? Uh, I don't really care for sleep. It goes back to that Asia trip where, where I learned I could function on three hours or four hours or, you know, I was just as good at three hours sleep as I was at eight hours sleep, at least on that trip I was. And so it really did sort of change for me. So for me, I think my sleep number six, you know, 12 to six is perfect. Yep. Yep. Five is fine. Four is fine. Eight's just like too much for me. It just is too much. I wake up really raring to go. <laughs> for breakfast, um, the strongest coffee I can find and probably a yogurt and a banana. I'm a banana milkshake person every morning. Rob, what do you have for breakfast and do you ever sleep? I try to get sleep. I do get some sleep, but I, can, I know I don't get enough sleep. Uh, I, I definitely, I probably struggle in that department. Uh, I know we all need to get more sleep. Um, and yes, my breakfast of champions is a grande no whip mocha going through the drive through. Um. <laughs> Thank you. And by the way, I have a new bad habit. I try to stay up till midnight every night to play the wordle of the day. That's the new New York Times word game. And I have a friend from New York who's in Florida now, and I send her my score chart of uh, did I get it in one, two, three, four, five or six words or did I bomb out? Usually it's about three or four. And she sends me her little scorecard and we exchange that between 12 and 1230 in the morning. And then I can go to play some words with friends. I got 52 games going and that puts me to sleep. So that's but six hours pretty much does me. So anyway, I, Don, I don't usually ask people if they sleep or what they have for breakfast, but it seemed appropriate because I'm surrounded by very brainy people here and I'm very honored and everybody give Don a round of applause for bringing you all together come on Don Don's a man here Don you work hard to bring me super duper panelists and I, I would use that word in years and I thank you let's go on with the show before we get too too involved in me acclaiming all of you so this is the part where I've asked my guests Deborah, I hope you're having fun already. This is the part where I ask my guests in advance to send me a quote from a fictional TV or movie character or a song lyric that has nothing to do with our topic, technology, business, sustainability, saving the world. And they're going to tell us how it does have to do with the topic in their own words. So Donna sent us a quote from Lou Mannheim, played by the wonderful iconic actor Hal Holbrook, the movie Wall Street, 1987 American drama film. You all remember Michael Douglas, Charlie Sheen, Daryl Hannah. Martin Sheen, okay. And the story of Bud Fox, a young stockbroker who becomes involved with Gordon Gecko. I won't go into more than that. Here's the quote Donna selected from a zillion possible quotes from the movie. The main thing about money, Bud, is that it makes you do things you don't want to do. Oh, Don, be still my heart. What does this have to do with our topic? Yeah. 
Um, how many times have we seen somebody running for office or just flat out just trying to deny climate change and using uh, economic justification of, well, that's just not practical or it's just not going to work? Or that's like saying, um, you know, it, it's uh, we, we need more sunlight. So it's just not going to we can't work until 10 o'clock if the sun goes down. So we're just let's just not do that. It's just idiotic. And yet the the money motivation becomes justification for not doing the right things over and over and over that's how okay thank you very much very interesting well we talked about prosperity deborah brought that up and profitability and where there's money people sometimes head in that direction and forget about what else they could be doing thank you very much don deborah lamb has selected a quote from ron swanson Played by Nick Offerman, of course, Parks and Rec, American political satire, mockumentary sitcom on NBC from 2009 to 2015, 125 episodes over seven seasons, starring the wonderful Amy Poehler, formerly of SNL and a writer with, uh, yes, with her partner. And Amy Poehler is Leslie, is it Knope or Nope, Deborah? I never know how to pronounce that. Is it Leslie Knope or Nope? Knope? Nope. Okay, with the K is silent. A perky mid-level bureaucrat in the Parks Department of Pawnee, a fictional Indiana town, and let's and Rashida Jones is in it as well. Here we go. Here's the quote. You know what makes a good person good? When a good person does something bad, they own up to it. They're trying to learn something from it, and they move on. Deborah, talk to me. How'd you find this one? Yeah, well, I have to say, I, I wasn't quite sure where this question was going when it was asked. So I, I probably didn't spend too much time um, pulling or researching quotes, but um, having worked, you know, in the international level and the federal level and, and state, I, I do really think that at the end of the day, when it comes to sustainability and technology, a lot of um, action and energy can happen at the local level. Um, you know, with cities and startups and that ecosystem is just really rich and vibrant. Um, and a lot of the change that we're talking about, especially with sustainability, um, communities can be empowered to do a lot um, around that. And, you know, when we, I, I pulled Parks and Rec because it, as you said, it is a parody of, you know, local government um, and, and communities. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's really some truth in terms of the local community and, and, and locality standing up and, and doing a lot um, in this space um, that can drive a lot of the change. You know, we talk about global leadership, but then local action. Um, and I think that's the, that's the space that, you know, has a lot of energy um, and, and diversity um, in terms of creativity and, and innovation and thought. Thank you very much. Also, who's contributing to what we're trying to fix in terms of sustainability, right? Learn from your mistakes and own up to them. Yes, I did that. I'm usually the one to raise my hand, so I think it was my fault. I don't know. I've got to stop doing that, Don, right? Got to stop doing that. Okay, let's go to the quote from Jeff Castleman has picked another iconic quote. Four words. I love the short ones. Oh, I'm short too. No, I love the short quotes. Ron Tidwell, played by Cuba Gooding Jr. in Jerry Maguire, 1966. Was it really? Romantic comedy, drama, sports film. They put the genres all together. Romantic comedy, drama, sports film. And it was also said, of course, by Jerry Maguire. And the quote is, show me the money, Jeffrey. I think this relates a little bit to Don's quote. Go ahead, Jeff. Talk to me. Yeah, no, it's interesting. The theme from, from the other panelists, too. Um, yeah. And by the way, you had me at hello. It just didn't really fit the theme. So I skipped ahead to, to this one. Um, I... I um, I'm a futurist, 
in many ways, but not for the sport of it and not for uh, esoteric reasons. I'm in it to make money, and I don't mind saying so. And if there isn't an ROI behind the things that I do, I lose interest very fast. And so what I do, I do as a means uh, to improve the world, sort of like Deborah was saying earlier. You can do really good stuff for the world, and it's okay to make a buck along the way. Um, and, and so ROI is important to me and, and what I do and, and who I do it with and who I do it for. Uh, and so show me the money seemed like the perfect quote for the occasion. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's go to Rob Tiffany. Rob, this is interesting. This is from the movie Top Gun Maverick. It's here. It is remaking the career of Mr. Tom Cruise. Everybody loves it. They're now saying he's one of the most iconic, long-lasting box office go-getter movie stars in in, in worldwide cinema. Uh, brand new just came out. Did anybody here see the movie, by the way? Anybody seen it yet? No, not yet. Okay, here's okay, Rob. Um, Rob's quote. I have a two-part quote here. Rear Admiral Chester Hammer Kane, played by Ed Harris, says, "The end is inevitable, Maverick. Your kind is your kind is headed for extinction." And Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell, played of course by Tom Cruise, says, "Maybe so, sir, but not today." Oh, be still, my heart, Rob. This was really cool. I found the scene. Talk to me. How'd you pick this, and what does it have to do with our topic? I'll try to figure out what it has to do with our topic here on the fly. Um, I just like the quote, and I do applaud the other ones. I'm a big fan of Jerry Maguire and Wall Street. I've probably watched Wall Street a thousand times. Um, and yeah, you had me at hello. Um, you know what? I think when you think about it, uh, I, we try so hard to use technology and AI things that people actually don't really understand to do everything. Uh, in that scene, you know, Ed Harris is basically saying, Drones, you know, are going to replace fighter pilots and we're not going to need you guys anymore. Uh, but obviously they had a tough mission that only a, a human could do with incredible skills. And I feel today, you know, after being in this space for so long, it's it's going to be people and technology working together to make this stuff happen. I know we keep trying to replace humans, uh, but it just doesn't work. Uh, maybe it will one day. But yes, like with Maverick, we're still going to need people to step up and, and do the hard work and make stuff happen because things don't happen without people. This is true. It's all about the people, right? That's why we're here. We're still talking and walking and thinking, and we still have hearts and emotions, and we care. right? You don't, don't have we? robots on your show yet. so Not yet. I don't even have a boss who's a robot, but I have to be careful because if I say Alexa's name too loud, she'll tell me something she I will. may or may not want to know, and she's really good about that. She's the closest I have to a bot. Thank you all for the quotes. Very interesting. A couple sound like they were on the fly, <laughs> Rob and Deborah, but they worked. They worked really well. Deborah, you see how we used to have quotes on all my shows from people like Einstein and Drucker and Churchill and Gandhi. And after a while, I was hearing the same quotes over and over and over again, Henry Ford and Walt Disney. And I said, oh my God, I'm, I'm falling asleep, I'm bored. So about two years ago, I said, let's go with the pop culture quotes from movies and songs and TV shows. And everybody wakes up, why, you're talking about sustainability, you got a quote from Wall Street, how, how does that work? So that's why we do that, just wanted you to know. Let's now go to our predictions. We have some great ones here. I put one for each of you into the chat. Rob, yours just got delivered to you. And let's start with this. Remember, this is not a round table, big discussion about these, but after somebody says their, their prediction, uh, Don's gonna go first. 
unpack it, Don, for about three minutes. If anybody wants to comment, just wiggle one of your polite fingers. I've got them shown up here on the screen there. You got it, Jeff. Polite finger at me, because I can see you because we're on Zoom. And I will call on you for a brief commentary, and we'll move through. Let's see how many predictions we can do. We've still got about 20 minutes left. So Don Deloach, prediction number one, we will see regulations in an increasing number of cities regarding carbon reduction in both new and building retrofits. That's a packed prediction. Don, talk to us. Uh, first of all, this probably won't take three minutes because it's so straightforward. We are seeing an increasing number of predictions already. <laughs> um, new York 97 probably jumps off the page is probably the most aggressive one of all. It's, it's to reduce emissions uh, in the city's largest buildings by 40% by, by 2030 and 80% by 2050. I mean, it's getting people's attention. You, I mean, you're just going to have to to change what you're doing. But there's also um, the Berto Amendment in in Boston. Uh, there's there's uh, efforts in D.C. There's efforts in San Jose, and, and I'm pretty certain we're going to see widespread efforts going across the country that are going to establish goals and and expectations in terms of how these buildings are both built and how the current buildings, especially above a certain threshold, are, are retrofitted. And so it's going to be a big piece of the equation. And people like Jeff, who are, you know, in this day in and day out, see this firsthand. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good thing. I'm glad to see it. Any, Jeff, you, you were summoned there. You want to make a quick comment? Oh, he's got a finger. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> Is it me or do mandates or 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 uh programs for 2050 miss the mark it's too far away it's it's great it's well intended but tell me what you can do by 2030 tell me what you can do by 2031 22 23 32 35 don't talk to me about 2050 we could all be dead by then if we don't do more so i i, I just get annoyed with the 2050 but maybe that's just me yeah right, so and i'm going to respond to that yeah, I, yeah. I i totally agree but that's why the, the New York one that says 40 percent by 2030 um, is that it's like when I talk to startups and I say, tell me your 12 month goals and tell me your 36 month goals, because I want to know what you're going to do today. I just want to know what you do today is headed in the right direction for tomorrow. And I think that the New York one actually does a decent job of that. I have to reflect, Jeff. And everybody, on one of my early business shows, I used to have a segment of uh, one prediction at the end. They weren't prediction shows. It's just this is my one future prediction show. And I asked somebody for a particular prediction, and he said, I'm predicting 50 years into the future. And I said, Bob, I always say Bob when I don't remember the person's name. I've talked to thousands of people. I said, Bob, why 50 years? And he said, because everybody on this panel and I'm listening around the world will be dead by then, and nobody will be there to tell me if I was wrong. And I thought, God, that's morbid. That's terrible. So that I haven't heard anybody say that 50 years in the future. But but that's interesting. We're, we're looking for solutions now, aren't we? We're predicting for the future, but aren't we looking for stuff? We're in, we're in mid-2022. A lot of people never got this far in the past two and a half years. Look, at, look what happened with COVID around the world. I'm not going to get morbid here, but we're just going to be happy to see changes by 2025, aren't we? That should be already in the works right now, but I'm pontificating here. Let's move on. I'm looking at Deborah Lamb's Prediction number three, I know you're passionate about this, Deborah. That's why I picked it. She says PPPs, public-private partnerships, will grow, that's a prediction, and be seen as a critical factor in shaping the future of cities. Crafting sustainable PPPs will be key. Why don't you unpack that for us and tell us what that means. Deborah, go ahead. 
Yes, thank you, Bonnie. Um, so I will say that this panel probably gets the same question a lot because um, in the smart cities technology space, I often get asked the question of what's the future of technology? What's what's the new sexy technology? And it's very focused on something shiny, um, something, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, whether it's a platform or, or software or, or some sort of device. And, and I think that that's, you know, great, but I don't think it tells the full story. Um, and I think too much emphasis is placed on this one gadget, one um, actually uh, to Rob's point and, and everyone else's point, it's, it's really about the people and how they can shape the future of cities and what kind of partnerships that can be done. So as we all know, you know, cities themselves, you know, even at the New York levels, can't do everything themselves. Um, you, you can do a lot of the policies, but at the end of the day, the private sector needs to come together, as Jeff probably agrees, that startups need to come together. There needs to be you know, more engagement across the sectors um, to address some of these very complex and challenging issues like climate change, like sustainability. And, and ultimately, it's about how those partnerships can be done where these different sectors are contributing and complementing each other um, for the greater good and how you can um, balance out um, the need to do well and do good, but you know, have that common united mission. And I think the key is to think about those kind of arrangements um, that could benefit all the different sectors and their different cultures and agendas, but be united in that mission. Thank you, Deborah. I'm going to comment on that. I'm in Durham, North Carolina, and I've been here five years. I'm a New Yorker, born and bred. I've lived all over the country, and I've noticed since I've been here in these five years, the tree cutting, the devastation of local, I'll call them forest, groves of trees. I don't even recognize the entrance to my community anymore because they tore down all the trees and they're putting up another high-rise building. Seriously, the traffic on Route 70 is ridiculous. I'm living in a HOA community, and that's what my scathingly funny novel is going to be about, Don. I haven't finished writing it yet, but I'm having a hell of a lot of fun, and I, I'm going to have to move to another state when I publish the book because people won't even want yeah, that's scathing. Anyway, my point is I'd love to see some of what you're talking about, Deborah, trickle down to a community where, first of all, everything's being cut down and more and more high rise. That means more and more traffic, more and more emissions. Communities where the builders put up such crap houses that I'm I'm in a house that's five years old. I had to have several roof tiles replaced. People in on my block whose homes are five or six years old had to do a full roof replacement because they bought for, I know they bought crap roof shingles that were defective when they put them in. Floorboards are coming up. Cabinets are falling off the walls. We have a, they're trying to put their focus on fixing the, the tennis court because everybody plays. I, I paid extra to live on a fountain, a pond with a fountain with lights. Every single year, the fountain becomes unusable. They haul it out in a little robot, a little guy with an orange slicker and a, pulls it out and they tell us the manufacturer is thinking about repairing it. Deborah, we're talking about a 10 horsepower pump. It has been out for six weeks and they told me to repair it. it will be $20,000 and it's not in the budget. Everybody on this pond circle here, there's 21 homes. 
paid between twenty and fifty thousand extra to live here for the beauty of the fountain with the lights and keeping the water moving for the wildlife on this. It's a BMP pond. They call it BMP number nine. And we've been waiting over a month and a half, and this is the fourth year in a row that that fountain has broken. So where is the sustainability here? Where is the environmentalism? Where is the using materials that will keep a house going without falling apart? Where is the attention to keeping the natural resources, the trees and the beauty? Why are they building high rises on every block here? Why are people selling their farms? Why is there more traffic? Why can't you get through a traffic light on Route 70? It's Durham. It's not Manhattan, for God's sake. Deborah, any comments? I want to see this all trickle down to a local level, and I don't see that happening. Am I wrong, Deborah? Anybody want to comment? I'm ranting here, but it's my show. I get to rant. Deborah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I think you raise a lot of good questions. And what actually where technology can come in is that it actually allows a platform for more voices um, to be part of the conversation. Um, so all those questions, you know, like there, there should be a process actually to bring more voices in, in terms of what do you want in your community? Where do you see it going? You know, what are your priorities, um, you know, that you want to focus on? And how do you want to use your investment? Um, or your yep. community dollars, right, that go into some sort of pooled amount. And, you know, how can we bring those voices up um, and elevate that? So then it's a, it's a more constructive conversation. Um, and, I, and I, I wish. Think, <laughs> yeah, I, wish. I think that's, that's probably, you know, where these kind of public-private partnerships come in, where, yep. you know, the community has a say and can talk to the developers that can talk to the local government and they can talk to, you know, those community services. And, and I think technology actually could be a great um, level playing field and reduce some of these barriers to entry um, that, you know, traditionally weren't part of those conversations um, in terms of how the community can be uh, developed. Thank you, if only. Anybody have any comments on that before we move on? No? Okay, I did my rant. Thank you very much. Jeff Castleman, I'm looking at prediction number four. Thank you, Deborah. The global solar economy has already begun and will hit its stride when scalable commercial battery storage solutions arrive in the next five to 10 years. So we're going a little far out here. Jeff, far out. Talk to me. So, uh, you know, when I do my, my public speaking, I cover a lot of different topics depending on, you know, the audience. But the one that is requested the most is called the exponential future of everything. And I cover a lot of topics between now and 2045. Okay. So by the way, on that 2050 thing, I won't even touch 2050 because I can't even barely predict what happens between now and 2045. Uh, one of the things that I talk about in that, in that program, uh, is the prediction that you just read. Um, the world order, which is in question right now, I don't want to go down that path, but the, the, the world order up to today has been about petroleum production. You're either a net exporter country or a net importer country based on that, right? You either produce your own, consume your own, or you buy it and bring it in, or you have enough to sell to the world. And, and we can all think of who those, those countries are for the most part. Um, the revenue from the, the, the sale of that petroleum dictates um, civil stability or civil unrest. If you can sell oil at $100 a barrel forever, you can fund a lot of social services and a lot of things for your for your your citizens. If that price drops to $20 a barrel, but you've built an economy as a net exporter around the fact that you could sell it forever at $100 a barrel, 
you suddenly have civil unrest because all the things that your citizens became used to for decades, for generations, based on a different price point, have gone away. And so uh, it's worth the context to understand what happens when people can't sell petroleum as the main source of energy for the world. Most people don't realize it, but in, in my humble opinion, and many uh, other people's opinion, that has already begun to wane, and uh, renewable energy sources have begun to 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 uh, rise up. The most promising of those is solar. In fact, the solar industry already employs more people globally than the entire petroleum industry, and that shocks people when they hear that, but that happened about two years ago. You can Google that. That's a fact. Um, so again, it's sort of showing one going this way and one going this way, right? Um, now stop and think about the following factoid. The earth is bathed in more raw energy from the sun every single day than every person on the earth combined could ever consume. So we have unlimited supply and will until the sun burns out or blows up or, or something terrible happens to the sun, okay? We have unlimited supply. It's harnessing the supply. Manufacturing costs have gone down. Uh, PV uh, effectiveness or, or collection rates have, have gone up. Um, so now we can harness the, the solar power, but how do we store it so that we can consume it when we get home from work or next week or what have you? And that's where the commercial battery storage comes in. Commercial battery storage has been stubbornly linear when everything else has been exponential. But there's about $500 million of venture capital and private equity per year being spent on scalable commercial battery storage solutions. There are some, some small-scale stuff out there now. But there's some really, really promising new tech and new um, uh, infrastructure capability that will take this from uh, a hobby or from uh, something that's one-off small scale to every building everywhere. And when that happens, uh, people will begin to consume their energy much, 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 much differently at scale than they have for the last 100 or 150 years, which was uh, a der derivative of petroleum. And, and that's why that prediction – um, when is that going to happen? Is it 15 years? Is it 20 years? Is it five years? Is it three years? Hard to know for sure. Um, but I think we're much closer than people think. Um, and there's a lot of people chasing Nirvana there. So I'm going to stay with my five to 10 year range for that. Thank you very much. Anybody have any comments? We move. All right. I'm ready to move on. Rob Tiffany. I'm looking at prediction number three for you. This is interesting. We're getting into tech here. You say ecosystems will be modeled as digital twins to appropriately manage natural resources. Rob, unpack, please. Jeff likes that one already. Go ahead. Yeah, what the heck is a digital twin? Um, you know, just for our, our our fans out there, a digital twin is this kind of digital model trying to represent a physical object or system or a process. And so uh, that's gotten a lot more mature over the years. Uh, and so uh, that's gone from being a technology from NASA and fringe stuff in manufacturing and now i see the words digital twin every day all the time and i've been deep into that don knows that back to my hitachi days building that technology um my big rant around managing natural resources you know you can build digital twins of buildings you know bim 
Um, and s- sustainable cities, sustainable homes, cars, ecosystems, how they all interplay with each other, traffic on highways, all that stuff. We can start to ma- model all that stuff as digital twins. My big thing has always been about water, I'd have to say, going back more than a decade. And so, um, you know, it really helped me think differently about digital twins. I'd always thought about, oh, a digital twin of a car. I totally understand that. Um, I've spent a lot more time in agriculture, believe it or not, applying industrial IoT technology to agriculture and um, modeling things like crops and soil, which a lot of people probably don't necessarily think about uh, as twins, turns out to be a big thing. Um, You know, these days, climate change gets all the headlines when we talk about sustainability or, or impending doom right of the future uh but they're just beneath that headlines as it turns out um food and water are are a big deal um because of our population explosion nearing you know 10 billion people by 2050 sorry for using 2050 there bonnie um that's okay (laughs) farmers are actually going to have to double food production between now and then And, and another way to look at that is they have to produce more food than farmers have produced since the beginning of time, since the beginning of farming, which is a tall order. Um, and uh, and if that wasn't hard enough, there are these headwinds that they're facing. Like maybe you notice that half the country is on fire every summer. Maybe you notice that the Colorado River is drying up. And so places where we built cities in the desert, like Las Vegas and Phoenix and the entire LA basin, those people are about to be in up a creek, uh, not to use a pun. The water's gone. Actually, the water is pretty much gone from California in general, and 40% of our food's coming from California. These are big problems. And so when I talk about managing natural resources, I'm also managing how do we manage population and where people live? You know, we've never done that. In the United States, you're free. You can live wherever you want. Bonnie, you were talking about housing developments and cutting down trees and just going crazy. It's like... It's like those developers have no restrictions. No. We let billions, or not billions, but you know, we, we've let you know tens of millions of people move to the LA basin based on the fact that you had the Colorado River supplying water. Well, now that thing is turning to a trickle and you start to go, why didn't we manage that resource in advance? Why didn't we see this coming? We just assume, kind of like Jeff talking about barrel of oil forever. You know, I grew up in Houston. I know what that mentality is. When things are good, they think it's going to be good forever. But here's how that business really is, uh, in my experience. And so managing natural resources, managing where people live, managing uh, cities, we need to, I'm more a fan of sustainable cities than thinking about smart cities. Um, it's, It's an imperative now. Um, but you know how people are? We're like a bunch of frogs in that boiling pot that's slowly getting hotter. And we think, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. It's okay. It's a little warmer out, but I'm fine. You I know, I'll just that. turn. Yeah, it's, I'll just turn the air conditioning. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, you've got three major cities that are about to have no water. And oh, oh and it's all hydropower too. So they're about to have no electricity because the reservoirs, our two biggest reservoirs in the country, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, are like down to here. And so that next conference you go to in Las Vegas, they may not have water and they may not have all the lights on anymore because there's no electricity. So there's things that are now finally impacting us. And it's sad that people have to wait until their own house is on fire to take action. 
And I feel like that's kind of where we've gone with this whole sustainability thing. We've been kicking the can down the road for decades, even though we kind of know that we should have been on it. And now our house is on fire. So we've got to model these ecosystems, see how they're changing, and but also model population. And I know it seems weird to control where people should live and everything, but uh, but yeah, we're kind of at a kind of at a crisis point right now. We are. Thank you very much. Uh, I applaud the panel for sharing your passion for the topic. That's what I was looking for, not just the predictions and the quotes. Jeff, I can give you one minute because we're almost ready to close. Jeff, go ahead, please. I won't take that long. Um, I did a session yesterday, Rob, um, on the metaverse, and most of the conversation was about digital twin in the metaverse and all the things that it's capable of doing. And we went from uh, building to city, to county, to state, to country, like, you know, as the conversation evolved, there really is no limit to what you can simulate, build and simulate um, at a great level of, of detail and, and effectiveness. And so um, I applaud what you're doing. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan for, for digital twin of everything, people, buildings, cities. It's all coming and it's all coming much more quickly than people realize. We need to bring more people on board. Deborah, quickly, go ahead. One minute. Yeah, just 30 seconds. Add, just to add on to what um, Rob was saying, I think a couple of things is one, I, I think there is a certain more mentality, but a lot of the resources that we're talking about are wasted. You even think about agriculture. A lot of food is actually just wasted. It's not actually being distributed um, because of price controls and all, all the uh, other things. And then another thing is when we deal, we talk about people dealing with this, it is a certain type of person, right? Like we are those that are lucky that are able to deal with air conditioning and hurricanes and all that, but not everyone has those resources or the means to deal with it. And that's where it gets uh, the inequalities in. And that's the bigger issue is we are lucky to deal with the climate change impacts, but not everyone has those resources or services or knowledge. And that's that division that I'm talking about. Thank you. And speaking of meta, before we close, I'm gonna give you all a recommendation. If you have a VR headset, and you know how to get on, uh, there's a, a site called Alcove. Believe it or not, it's sponsored by the AARP. It's got phenomenal videos. You can tour the world in a hot air balloon. You can go visit the animals on the plane and somewhere in Africa through, through a, a tour bus or a balloon. You can see the Swiss Alps, but what I want to recommend is if you go in the back room, there's a little diver's helmet on the floor, and if you click it, you can watch a video in your VR headset of turtles swimming freely among the coral. It is one of the most relaxing, delightful things I've experienced in a long time. Turtles of all sizes with thousands of fish and coral of all different shapes. So I recommend go get yourself a VR headset and get away from the problems of the world for just a couple minutes every night. It's better than a therapist and a lot cheaper once you make the investment. I want to say thank you to all of you. Don, again, thank you. You outdid yourself with this wonderful panel. Deborah Lamb, I hope you'll come back. Brilliant lady, so happy to have you share your brilliance and your commitment with us. Rob Tiffany, always wonderful. Jeff Castleman, you're a force of nature. I'm I'm delighted that you all, Don and Jeff are busy with other things and in a hotel and you still came on the show. And that means a lot to me. So thank you very much. And I have a quick assignment. We've got to go right now. But everybody, get ready on the count of three to sh- wag your finger like this. Deborah, get ready and you're going to say no, no, no. People say the future is already here and we say one, two, three. no. No, come on, join me. No, no, no. Unmute, unmute. Deborah, Jeff, unmute. Rob, Don, unmute. No, 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 no. no, no. no, no. no. That-
That was yesterday's future. Today's future isn't here yet, and we're all here to try and make it a better one. Don't go away, panel. I want to take pictures. Everybody wave goodbye to Facebook, goodbye to LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.